0: Hey everybody, uh, Pastor Derek here. What an honor to be with you today on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Church at home. Church at home. So we all have a seat because it's in our house and uh, I'm so glad that you're with me right now. Hey listen, I'm going to get into our message Uh, right away because there's a lot that I want to unpack and it's kind of churning and burning inside of me. It's really fresh. In fact, I just finished it about 15 minutes ago. I wouldn't recommend that if you're a communicator, but here we go. Um, I'm going to continue something that I started about two weeks ago. Now, my wife, she preached last week for Mother's Day and uh, she rocked the house and just did an incredible, incredible job. Speaking from Church of the Highlands, come on, somebody. Nobody was there, but it was an amazing, amazing experience for her. Um, but I'm here, I'm home, I'm with you, and I can't wait to unpack today. So, the message today uh, is called The Day of the Lord and the Antichrist. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Okay, The Day of the Lord and the Antichrist. And so we've been in a little series, and I don't know how long this is going to go. I might keep going with this several weeks. I might end it uh, today, depending on how things go. But um, we've been talking about the end times a little bit. The reason for that is because I think there are certain uh, signs of the end times that have increased right now. Um, God, like a good weatherman, if that even exists, is there a good weatherman? But God, like a who should be a good weatherman, uh, is telling us of some of the things that are coming up. Certain predictions um, and prophecy reveals to us as Christ followers what is unfolding in in the season that we're in through the signs that we can see. And he actually tells us in his word, and we talked about this two weeks ago, that we shouldn't be deceived by what other people would say, and we shouldn't be alarmed by what we see, because as Christ followers, God's given us the game plan. Can I have an amen out there? You can hit a little heart, a like, or whatever, and just tell somebody, uh, I believe what he's saying right now. So listen, as I get into this, think about this. When you travel on your way uh, from one location to another. Let's say you're going to go into the city. You're going to go into the city of Boston. Along your, along the way, to that destination, on the highways, you are seeing um, signs, certain indicators of things to come, and those signs have a certain size and dimension to them, you know. But as you get closer to the city, those signs get bigger. And they, they're on display. They're much larger, and they, sometimes they span across the entire road, letting you know kind of where you are and all the various intersections and, and places to go. And again, along the way, small indicators, but as you get closer to the destination, big displays, big signs. So as we study the end times, um, I believe we've been given a preview of coming attractions all throughout the Bible. And uh, we've talked about this in the previous weeks. I've been talking about this on Facebook Live. For some of you who want some nourishment spiritually uh, during the middle of the week, I want to encourage you, Wisdom Wednesdays, 1230. Uh, There's several different sessions on there where I've been talking about uh, the end times. In fact, two weeks ago, I talked about the Antichrist a little bit there, the spirit of the Antichrist, which is amongst us now. But if you've been paying attention as you are on your journey, um, there have been Signs or indicators, and they've been getting bigger. They've just been getting bigger. Now, a sign, you know, we differentiated these things a couple of weeks ago, too. There's miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles require God to do something, wonders make you wonder, but signs point to something that's down the road. And so, we've been seeing these signs getting stronger, and there are these indicators that we're not far off from the city. We're not far off from that ultimate destination. In fact, real quickly, um, and I can't unpack these because of the minutes that I have, but there's been the sign of the, or the prediction of the return of Israel. That was, that's in Scripture prophetically. There's been the sign of turmoil in the Middle East. Uh, that's a prophetic sign. There's been the sign that like Persia, which is kind of like modern day Iran and Iraq, would be a, the center of attention. Uh, That's a sign that that was predicted. Um, There's the sign of the uh, regathering of Europe around a common currency, which we know is the euro dollar, where there would be a ten-nation confederacy. That was prophesied in the scriptures. And again, these are just some of the prophetic fulfillments that have transpired that are making these signs clearer and clearer, and they're getting bigger and bigger. So perhaps we're not far off from that final day, that final destination. And so as we discussed two weeks ago, this whole thing kicks off, the end times, it kicks off, and I kind of came out of the closet a little bit with uh, my position um, pastorally for Connect, but it, it kicks off with the rapture. Uh, if you want to put a position to it, we would call it a pre-tribulation um, um, belief system. And the rapture of the church is spoken of in multiple places where we as Christ followers, people who believe that Jesus is our sin bearer, we would be caught up with him in the air. He would take us. It would be in the blink of an eye like lightning. We would be, we would be caught up with him. We would be raptured with him. Uh, this event uh, is a catalyst or a trigger for the next event. Okay, everybody? So the rapture uh, is a trigger for another event that we call the tribulation. Turn to your neighbor. If you're sitting with somebody in your house and say, the tribulation, dum-dum-dum. Okay? And 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 i have to do a little bit of, a little bit of bring a little bit of levity somewhere somehow in jesus name because this event is our topic today the tribulation i have never done a whole message on this just like i never did a whole message on the rapture but it's a serious event it is downright scary when you take a hard look at it, the tribulation. And so I don't want to hold back what the Bible says. I want to be true to what scripture says, but I don't want you, listen to me as your pastor, I don't want you to take this subject lightly. I want you to lean in. I want you to really listen to this. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to Bible thump today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 says, uh, now, brethren, believers, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter. What somebody would say, what somebody would, something you would read, as if, as if it's from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Another translation calls it to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Okay, so these Christians in this text, like some of us, and maybe some of you even listening today, were worried that they had missed the rapture. Back then, they're thinking they might have missed something that hasn't happened yet. And in light of the things that they were observing, hearing, reading, um, and and the way people were behaving, the way it was in culture at that time, he calls this, this the day of the Lord or the day of Christ, now, this day of the Lord, this day of Christ, is, was, is post-rapture, and they were concerned they missed the rapture, and now they are in the day of Christ, or they are in the day of the Lord. What is that? The day of the Lord, the day of Christ, is synonymous, scripturally, with the tribulation. Okay? So the day of the Lord or the day of Christ, depending on what translation you have, is synonymous with the tribulation. So these people thought they missed the rapture and they are in the tribulation. So Paul is going to clear and clean some of these things up. Now, the tribulation, for clarity, is the beginning of a seven year period of time, listen, where God displays and expresses his wrath on sin. Okay? So the day of the Lord stay with me now, contrasts with the day of man. Those are two terms that you see in Scripture. And so right now, people of God, you are living in the day of man. Uh, In the tribulation, it will be the day of the Lord. What does that mean? See, the day of man is when man has free will agency. He has freedom of choice. Uh, he has the ability to choose or reject god 's will and god 's ways, and as a result he can choose or reject it and and or face listen i 'll make a clarification in a second god 's passive wrath his passive wrath see today you and I have not or do not experience what's known as the active wrath of God. Kind of a big theological term I'm trying to make simple. But in other words, the consequences that you and I face today uh, with regards to evil and, and evil people and bad people and bad things that people do, today in the age of man, the day of man, it's because of his free will, making or choosing to do things bad, bad choices. And the consequences of those bad choices, of our choices, are, are they're not the display of God's act of wrath. They are a result of our choices. That's why we're experiencing them. Now, in the Old Testament, just to contrast this so you can see what I mean, in the Old Testament, we read about or you could see the active wrath of God. Uh, You see things like fire from heaven and, and floods upon the earth and the earth opening up and swallowing people up. But listen. This is important for those of you who uh, need good doctrine because the Bible tells us to watch our life and doctrine closely, both. But the death of Jesus Christ changed how God related to the world and how we relate to God. The death of Jesus Christ uh, gave God... Instead, because of Jesus, what he did for us, God didn't pour out his wrath on man, act of wrath. He poured out his act of wrath on Jesus, his son. And when that happened, the relationship between God and man and man and God changed. It changed. And no longer would that wrath be poured out on man anymore or on us now. So all the bad things that you see happening now in the world is not because God is doing it. It's because men are choosing it in the day of man. In the day of man, and so he gives you and I the privilege and corresponding responsibility to choose life, to choose death, to choose right, to choose wrong, and the the consequences are built into those, and that's uh, and, and and that we make are built into those, and therefore sometimes bad things will happen. Because of those choices. But God didn't make that happen. I hope you're following me. So write this in your notes if you're taking notes. In, in the day of man, summary, we choose. We choose. In the day of the Lord, he chooses. He chooses. There's a difference. So we are currently in the day of man. And in the tribulation, it will be the day of the Lord. In the day of the Lord, that seven-year period with post-rapture, that's when God takes over. And he, he, um, Uh, the choices will be his during that period of time. So the believers in this chapter uh, of 2 Thessalonians, they're concerned, they're worried, uh, and they think they missed the rapture, and so Paul's going to clarify. But before we get into that clarification a little more, let's look at a prophecy from a minor prophet from the book of Zephaniah. Now, if you don't know your Bibles, this will be pretty hard to find, but a description of this day of the Lord begins way back in the Old Testament, which is what makes the Bible amazing. And it's a serious serious text this is what it says in zephaniah 1 14, speaking of this day at the end of days it says that terrible day of the lord is near swiftly it comes uh, remember a day is like a thousand years to god a thousand years like a day swiftly it comes a day of bitter tears i will i will be a day it will be a day excuse me when the lord's anger is poured out A day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. A day the trumpet calls and the battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. Because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you grope around like the blind. Your blood will be poured out in the dust. Your bodies will be rotting on the ground. Your silver and your gold will not save you on the day of the Lord's anger. The whole land will be devoured by fire of his jealousy. Not jealous, for us, but of us. And he will make a terrible end of all the people on the earth. This is speaking of the tribulation. This is a difficult text. You do not want to be a part of that day. This is the day when you get to see a side of God that he never wanted you to see as a son or daughter of God. It's, you know, it's when I was younger, I used to watch the Hulk. And the original Hulk, I think it's the original Hulk, I'm pretty sure it was, Uh, David Banner was the original Hulk. And in his show with, you know, it was David Banner, I forget his real name, Bill Bixby, and then uh, Lou Ferrigno, okay, the the famous bodybuilder, deaf bodybuilder. And David Banner would always say, when provoked... You don't want to do that because you won't like me when I'm angry. So there's a certain point in time when, when it comes to a place in time in the course of history where you don't want to see that part of God. You don't want to be there on that day. I'm a pretty peaceful person, okay? But my kids will tell you uh, that if you poke too many times, <laughs> watch out. Watch out! You know you don't you don't want to you don't want to see me when I'm angry, okay? And my dad used to say things like he used to he used to he was um, he was a fireball, but he used to say, "Keep trying, me son. Keep just keep trying me and see what happens." Even when I was older, and even even when I was bigger than him, my dad would intimidate the snot out of me, man. He put the fear of God inside of me. He, he was he'd be shorter than me, smaller than me, but he was pretty convinced he could take me. But he'd say, "Keep trying, me, right? And see what happens. Just keep trying, see what happens." And God, in a sense, is saying, I'm gonna sh- I don't want to show you that part of me. Children of God, don't make me show that part of me. God has a part of himself that he never wanted us to see. and But he cannot ignore that part of his nature. How- is that part of his nature just wrath? No, it's righteous indignation. It's a part of j- the justice of God. See, some people don't like it when when somebody does something evil and there's no justice for it. This is God's solution to that. And so he's withholding that in an effort to get all of us on his team, in the family, reunite with him. So we don't have to be a part of that when that happens. And so his just wrath that you have never seen actively will be expressed during this period of time. And so let me tell you what's going to happen during this time. Just so you can kind of get your arms around it. Um, what will happen during the tribulation? Number one, Satan will be revealed and you'll see his true character, his true nature. Well, I thought we already have seen him. No, you haven't seen anything yet. Now, during this time, you, you don't know how bad Satan really is until this time. During this tribulation, Satan will be released by God to express his true character, his Fullest expression of his nature. I don't know how to say it another way. In fact, throughout the Bible, you can see whenever Satan and, and Jesus would interact, Satan would have to get his permission to do certain things, i.e. Job and other situations. And so uh, he couldn't do what he wanted to do unless he was permitted by God to do it. But in the tribulation, God releases him. He frees him up to be as bad as he really is. So the world will see how evil, evil really is during this time of the tribulation. Number two. What else will happen? God will also reestablish his plan, his program with Israel, with Israel. Now, he told Israel all along the way that if you would accept me as your Messiah, I will come ultimately and rule the earth through you. That was his ultimate plan. But the problem is Israel rejected him. They're still rejecting him even to this day. And so God had to put Israel on the side uh, and deal with the Gentiles and then then he takes the, the church, which is kind of like the, the new, this is like a replacement theology, the new, uh, the new Israel. He takes the church, reunites it to himself, reconnects with them, and then, then he comes back. And during the tribulation, he, he makes things right with Israel. He fixes things. In fact, in um, Jeremiah chapter 30, this talks about the day of Jacob's trouble. Jacob Jacob uh, is a reference to Israel uh, throughout Scripture. Even in the New Testament, you see this. But it says, the day of Jacob's trouble when God has to bring judgment on them because of their rejection of the Messiah. That's what's prophesied here in Jeremiah 30. It says this in verse 6. Now, let me ask you a question. Do men give birth to babies? Then why do they stand there, ashen faced, hands pressed against their sides like a woman in labor? In all history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people. So, this end, this this tribulation will be so difficult for Israel. But then he says, because he's going to reestablish the plan and the program in the tribulation, yet in the end, uh, they're going to be saved. Israel will be saved. Uh, A New Testament reference related to Israel. Matthew 23, 37 through 39 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. (sighs) How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. One translation says, you won't see me until you, you see the return of the Son of Man. And so the, the big picture in this, in this um, point is this, that Jesus cannot come back, second coming of Christ, until Israel receives him, accepts him. And so, what's God going to do? He's going to make Israel accept Him. He gave Him a choice to do it originally, but through God's wrath, He will bring Him, bring Israel to that place during the tribulation period. Big, big conversation, and I'm dealing with things on a thirty thousand foot level. But I want you to get an overview and get it into you. Number three, what will happen during the tribulation? God will reveal His, and we've already referenced this, His just wrath against sin. Against sin. Again, this is the side of God that is not pretty. Um, God is going to expose how much He hates sin. Uh, He will expose it on a global, you could say, pandemic level. Uh, Many details of this, many judgments that will be expressed, you can see in the book of Revelation. It's bad. One time, one third of the earth is killed overnight. Another time, a quarter of the earth is two billion people killed overnight. The Bible talks about comets coming down and hitting the earth, water turning to blood, the sun being blocked, creating famine. Crime is released at another level. The moon turns to blood. Um, God in essence, releases what he has not released before. And you and I do not want to be here during that period. He will show how sinful sin is in his eyes, and there will be no restraint against evil. His wrath will be there. Now, you've seen on TV... Something like this where there's a problem, there's a chaotic situation in the city, and so law enforcement comes on the scene, they've got dogs there, law enforcement, they've got the you know the gear and the shields and all that kind of stuff, and and, and they're they're holding back the dogs and they've got water guns or water cannons and they're holding those back and they're restraining themselves and they're on a speakerphone, a megaphone saying, Break it up, I want you to disband. You know, uh, this, 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 this display of rebellion. And what happens a lot of times is the people refuse to disband. They refuse to break it up, and they disobey, and they reject it. And then the law enforcement gets closer and closer and closer, and ultimately... They release, they release the dogs, they release the law enforcement, they release the water cannons because the people would not listen. There was a refusal to respond. During the tribulation, God releases the dogs, God releases the water cannons, God releases his wrath because man has refused to respond. That's why it says, and we talked about this already, and I hope you can get all these messages in context. And if you're just a visitor here for the first time watching, I'm asking you to go back and see these things in, the, in kind of a systematic way. I'm a, I'm a systematic teacher. I don't like, I wish I could teach you, you know, all in a row right now, but you wouldn't listen anyway, so you've got to break it up in pieces. And so go back. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, God, the reason he hasn't come back is not because he's slow and he doesn't care about all these crazy things that are happening, the Bible says it's because he's patient, not wishing or wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to face that difficulty that is coming. And again, because of the death of Christ, he holds back um, that, that wrath, but at the tribulation, he releases it. Now, I want to segue now, because I said at the outset of this message, we're going to talk about really the tribulation, the day of the Lord, but also the Antichrist. Now, the tribulation introduces a figure, a person, a literal person, unlike anyone the world has ever seen or met before. And he's described a little bit in 2 Thessalonians 2 where we started. Look, look what it says in verse 3. I hope this is interesting to you. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means For that day, that day is talking about the tribulation, will not come unless the falling away. Uh, One translation says the apostasy comes first. The apostasy is referring to a person. And it says, and the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition lies who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he even sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, you know who this character is. You heard about him. You've had references. You've seen movies, whatever. It's the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And so what happens is during this period, this tribulation period, the world will be in such chaos it needs, it beckons, it begs for uh, a a, a solution. Someone to bring order to the chaos. Someone to bring order to all this disruption. And circumstances, you know this to be true, historically always does things like this. Uh, Certain personalities always rise up amidst chaos. Uh, Rosa Parks, way back, uh, was sitting in the back seat of the bus and she refused to give up her seat. Uh, And that that Speeding ahead, that led to the Montgomery boycott, which led to the rise of Martin Luther King, which then led to the civil rights. Uh, movement. In other words, certain circumstance gave rise to certain personalities to come into that chaos and bring order to it. The chaos in Germany, oh, what came out of that? Hitler. The chaos in Russia, Stalin, uh, you know, um, uh, Lenin, and, and the like. Whatever social disruption there is within the world, it gives rise to certain personalities, but there'll be no disruption like there will be during the time of the tribulation. The world will be so chaotic that the people who remain, will be looking for someone to bring order to the chaos, to bring, to bring uh, you know, things back uh, to what they should be. And the scripture tells us that one will rise out of this time, the lawless one, the son of perdition and, and this son of, of destruction. And he will, at some point in time, establish himself within the temple of God as God. Blasphemy, the Antichrist. And this individual will, again, rise during this tribulation period. And, 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 and if this was to happen anytime soon, which is possible, that means crazy. He's already here. He just has not yet been identified. Uh, it all depends, you know, on a certain sequence of things. And on these events being inaugurated. So this lawless one, what's he like? Well, he's going to be very powerful, very dynamic, like no individual before. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says this, The coming of the lawless one in accordance to the working of Satan will be... Uh, will have, excuse me, power, will have signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So this man who will surface will be empowered by Satan himself and he will produce somehow because of Satan unbelievable signs. You you if you're there, you will think, oh wow. Did you see that? How did he do that? Uh, Because Satan will be released during this time to empower this man to put on display uh, miracles right before the eyes of everyone. And if you think about it, who will not follow, who would not follow someone who's doing miracles right in front of their eyes? So many people will be deceived or given over to this delusion. And he's got all this Hocus pocus within his hands it'll be broadcast on major networks Fox and CNN and no matter where you are in the world people will say did you see that did you hear about that can you believe he did that the world will be mesmerized by this man the lawless one the son of perdition and the scripture gives us even more and we can't go deep on this about this guy but number 4 this is this is this is this is really interesting number 4 is people will follow An unholy trinity during the tribulation. An unholy trinity. In other words, I'll put it like this. Satan has always tried to um, replicate and replace and reproduce God. Uh, Revelation 16, 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out from the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. You see three three guys there. The dragon is referring, just for clarity today, The dragon is the devil, the beast is the Antichrist, and the second beast is the false prophet. So here you see, for the first time, an unholy trinity emerge during the tribulation. And Satan's mission, his kind of assignment, again, he wants to replicate God. Satan said in um, Isaiah 11, he said, I will be like the Most High. I would be like the most high. He had five I wills in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. And, and one of those things he's trying to do is to try to, he's trying to uh, reproduce the Trinity. See, God is a triune God. He's composed of uh, uh, co, three co-equal persons who have distinct personalities and they're one in essence. Satan's trying to do the same thing. He's trying to replicate a foundation of our faith, and he impersonates God the Father, the dragon. The Antichrist impersonates the Son, and the false prophet, in essence, is impersonating uh, the Holy Spirit. And the devil gives power uh, to Satan, the Son, and then he gives power to the second beast, and all, all of a sudden you have an unholy trinity if you look at uh, chapter 13 of Revelation, the second beast surfaces, and then a really cool, cool? That's not the right word. A really interesting fact emerges. Revelation 13, 12 says, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. Let's talk about the second beast. And he causes the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So the false prophet uh, is helping bringing glory to the Antichrist. Whose deadly wound was healed? Whose deadly wound? The Antichrist deadly wound. So the first beast gets everybody to worship um, uh, the, Satan and then uh, the father, and then the second beast gets everybody to worship the first. The second beast gets everybody to worship the first beast, okay? And and then you see this Holy Trinity. Again, the Holy Trinity, why do I keep saying that in a way that you can understand it? The Father in the real Trinity recognizes the Son. And the Son gets us to worship the Father. And the Holy Spirit gets us to worship the Son. That's what Satan is attempting to replicate. Satan is trying to imitate God in every way. Listen to this, including the resurrection, So it says in in the scripture we just read, whose fatal wound was healed. The Antichrist, the son and the unholy trinity, had a fatal wound. That means he was killed or he was dead and everybody in the world will know it. And now he's healed, therefore he is alive. So who do you know in the scriptures that was dead, that is now alive? Of course it's Jesus Christ, of which our entire faith is built upon that supernatural event. In fact, for the most part, I've said my whole life, my whole Christian experience, I don't follow Jesus because of his teachings. I I don't follow him because of his incredible uh, sermon on the Mount. I follow him because there was a man who is dead that is now alive. And Satan will even try to reproduce that. And he will attempt to imitate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here at that time, you will see on Fox and CNN and all the major networks that a person was clearly dead and now he's alive. And how could you not follow somebody who did that? It will capture the attention of the whole world and the world will be deluded by this occurrence. And I'll make another comment about the Antichrist just so you can just be aware and informed. In Revelation 13, 13 and following, it says the Antichrist will perform great signs so that even... He even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, which is really what the gospel does, to receive a mark. Remember this. Before God, I'm doing my job, God, for this church, for the people that you've called me to pastor. Uh, He's trying to get them to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that no one may buy or sell except one that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. The number of his name. Here is wisdom. Here is wisdom, the scripture says. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Six, six. six is the number of man. 666 six, six is the number of man, because man was created on the sixth day. It's It's three sixes because one six is for Satan, another six is for the first beast, and another six is for the second beast. If you receive the mark, you have become obligated to this unholy trinity. And it shouldn't be a surprise that that's possible because we know that worldwide our credit cards and our numbers are all available right now. It's just just a hop, skip, and a jump to that reality or that possibility. Why would you need this? Why would you need this mark? Why would you need this on your head? or because verse 17 sells us, you can't buy or sell without this mark. You can't go to the grocery store without 666. You can't go to the mall. You can't go to Amazon again. If you reject the number, you starve. You starve. He, the Antichrist, will control the whole world with this mark, and he'll do it through, our, uh, through economic controls. So in short, the Antichrist will move everything we know to, in essence, a one-world government. A one world religion and a one world economic system. This is in motion today, church, even as we speak. Now, if you happen to be there during this time, I'm going to speed through some massive texts in the scriptures, but somewhere in the middle of all this, uh, uh, but before that, actually, the, the Antichrist will come and he'll bring all this chaos to order. He'll actually be able to sign a treaty with Israel that's never been able to be done before. You know why it hasn't been able to be done before? because they weren't the one, but this guy will be able to do it, and he will set up a seven-year covenant and treaty with Israel, and the Middle East problem will be solved. There's going to be peace. There's a peaceful agreement. The people are going to think, oh, my gosh, the world is great, peace and safety. Yet all our problems are solved. And in the middle of this tribulation, 42 months in, uh, he's going to do what is called in Scripture the abomination of desecration or desolation. What does that mean? That means he's going to go into the temple in Jerusalem, and he's going to sit there, and he's going to tell everybody that he is is God. And when he does that, all of hell is going to break out. And he's going to break this treaty. And if you're here, and I don't plan on being here during that time, but if you are here, you are definitely in the tribulation at this time. And it's a sign. It's a sign. But for those of us, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, where Jesus lifted Noah above the floods, like he removed Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah, God, for those who have accepted Jesus as their sin bearer, will lift us up above this tribulation and and above and into the clouds. He'll take us and he'll take us out of this Sodom and Gomorrah-like potential for those of us who have received what Jesus has done for us. And I don't know about you, but I I would want to run to that. I would want to run to the cross when I hear this kind of information uh, it does kind of different things it motivates me to keep my eyes looking forward it It uh, helps me to be thankful that I've received payment for my sin and I don't have to receive the wrath of God because it was put on Jesus Christ and I receive that by grace through faith. And it inspires me to be a bold witness because I have friends and neighbors and loved ones that I care about that I don't want to experience that in lieu of what I know now. So let me say this to you. Um, I don't know how to say this, but when I, I was just on a plane and I wouldn't recommend that, but I had to be. Um, and every time I get on a plane, no matter how many, no matter how many times I travel, I, I want to make sure I have a boarding pass. And on that boarding pass, I always go and I look for uh, my seat. Do I have a confirmed seat? Now, I don't know where you are in your experience right now, but some of you I notice this when I'm at airports, like they fly standby. They fly standby. And I, and I think to myself, why would you want to do that? Because standby means I'm not confirmed. Standby means I hope I make it. Standby means I hope there's room on the flight for me. I don't know about you, but I need a confirmed seat. I need to know that when I get to that airport, because there's a destination, and I want to make sure that I get to that destination. I want to get there safely and securely and on time, and I don't want to fly standby. And so when I talk to people, like you listening right now, and I say something to the effect like, hey, where do you think you're going to spend eternity? A lot of times people say things to me like, well, I hope I make it. Well, I hope that there's a place there for me. Like Jesus said, I'm going to make a a home for you, a place for you. I hope that uh, I'm going to get there one day. Listen, you don't want to fly standby." You don't want to fly standby when it comes to eternity. Listen, you don't want to be there because at some point, someday, there won't be a seat. And things begin to crash and burn. You don't take off into the sweet by and by. You're not there with God in the sky. If you don't accept a confirmed seat that he has paid for for you right now, so with every head bowed. And with every eye closed, wherever you are, right there in your home, kind of like just shut it down for a second. I want to make sure that you receive what he already paid for. He has a seat for you. You do not have to fly Stand by. You don't have to experience all of this that I was talking about. That's why he waits. He's waiting for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you say this with me? Say, God, I know you're speaking to me right now. I know that you're talking to me through this message, Lord. Sometimes you'll use difficult things and strong words to get my attention. I'm grateful for that. Come on, just tell them that. I'm grateful. I receive this opportunity right now to invite Jesus Christ into my life, into my heart. I receive what he did for me. I receive Jesus as my sin bearer. I don't want to pay for my sins. And so, Lord, I receive salvation today. I receive that because you let God's wrath for sin be upon you. God's wrath doesn't have to be upon me. I thank you for that. Now, Father, for every person who received that, the Bible says we receive it by grace. We don't deserve it. Through faith, we believe that it's true and it's for us. Lord, I pray for every person who receive that by grace through faith, that right now on the inside of them, they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. They're a different person. They have a new identity. They have a new destination. They have a new home. They have a confirmed seat. Come on, everybody. I want you to celebrate. Just raise your hands and say, that was me. I want you to hit that little button and say, that was me. Because there's many people on this, on this dialogue that want to celebrate with you the confirmed seat that you have with him forever. We're going up. We're not going to be here for that day. When they're down here in tribulation, we're going to be up there seven years, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to have a party with Jesus. I hope this word, as hard as it was in the middle, encouraged you in the end because you received salvation. You received the joy of the Lord, the good news that he was there for you. I love you guys. It was an honor preaching you today and speaking today. I can't wait to see you on the Lord's Day again on Facebook or in a small group somewhere and I can't wait till we can be together again in person because I got an anaconda squeeze for every one of y'all in Jesus name come on God bless you